As a nonprofit organization, we are always looking for ways to support our mission through fundraising. This is one of the reasons we created the Core Leader Community. Here's how it works. For anyone who becomes a subscribing donor on a monthly or yearly basis, they will receive access to our Core Leader Library, which contains 100 plus hours of additional leadership content. This includes all of our virtual conference libraries, including in-depth content about helping individuals overcome pornography or ways to minister to those who are questioning their faith. It's all easy to access through a slick smartphone app, which makes it great for a busy schedule and people on the go. To become a core leader, visit leadingsaints.org today and click the donate button, or you can text the word lead to 474747. Again, click the donate button at leadingsaints.org or text the word lead to 474747. Also, if you're new to Leading Saints, you should know that Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. To see a full scope of the Leading Saints content, visit leadingsaints.org. Today, I'm in American Fork at the uh, corporate office of Built with uh, the CEO of Built, Nick Greer. How are you, Nick? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Kurt? Awesome. Now, so this isn't the Built Bar office. Built Bar is just a part of Built, right? How does that work? Uh, you know what? We really rebranded our name to Built and Built overall. So Built Bar definitely is a product within Built or the Built brand family. Awesome. And I have a co-host again today, Dan Duckworth in the house, helped me out. He just wanted a free built bar. That's what he <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> I am just here for the trick or treat uh, hallway. No, he was making sure to regulate building. too at the same time, right? <laughs> That's right. Awesome. Now, and you also serve as a bishop in, in Alpine, is that right? Serving, yeah. Serving, right. Currently. Yeah. And how long has that, uh, that been going on? I like to say in my third year, it just sounds a little longer than uh -huh. just over two years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, is there a story about you being called there? Um, about being called. Yeah. It yeah was, what do you remember? Uh, what do I remember? I remember the calling kind of, the, the official calling happened, but before that, the, um, the conversation took place a couple months beforehand, oh, really? knowing that the calling was going to happen. And, uh, that was a little wild and crazy, but, uh, it was a phenomenal experience, beautiful experience. Yeah. So that conversation was between you and the stake president or you and God or what? No, definitely <laughs> not me and God. He's trying to figure out how to communicate with me, but, uh, with the stake president. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And walking into that role, like obviously you have some great experience in the, in the professional world with, with leading and, uh, you know, like a company like built and other businesses that you've, you've done, um, walking into that role as Bishop, like, where do you even begin? Um, well, you begin with love first and foremost, and maybe that sounds a bit cliche, but especially with a war that was coming together, it was two different wards combined into one, or at least there was, um, some changes made within the stake. You've got to build that trust. You got to build that love. Um, you've got to show that you love them, but most importantly that the Lord loves them and that you are aware of that love, um, for them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that definitely takes time. Like any other relationship, the trust takes time like any other relationship. And so that's what we dove into quickly is building that, uh, that love and that trust. Yeah. And how, how would you describe the, uh, the, the geography of your ward? I mean, what's it like? Obviously in you're in Utah County, so right. there's some assumptions that are made there, but how would you describe it? I would say it's a very unique ward within Alpine, uh, Alpine, Utah. It's a very unique, unique ward here, maybe even in Utah. Um, I would actually tell you it's probably the best ward. Um, and it doesn't have <laughs> to do with their bishop, that's for sure. But it just has to do with the people within the ward itself. Um, the, the makeup of the ward is um, you've got all sorts of individuals, those who aren't so um, active like any other ward and those who are very gung-ho active. And, it's, uh, and then they've got their... Um, you know, uh, their bishop right in between who's trying to figure things out at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, let's dive into just some of these, these principles we, we talked about. We sort of outlined our, our conversation. Uh, you talked about this concept of me too, doesn't work, uh, unpack that for us. Well, I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, um, in society, in business, in families, um, or in work, 
you know, you'd say, and in church, I should say, it's, it's, well, what's ha- what's been done and let's just do it the same way. Mm-hmm. It's that traditional way, you know, and you've talked about before that uh, transactional way and the transactional mindset, you know, gets you in that mindset of, well, you're kind of a bit robotic and it's a bit, well, just going through the motions. Um, it's the social norm. It's what you expect. And it's like what's been done. And so you just go through those, uh, those motions. And so it takes time, it takes energy, it takes resources, it takes a lot of patience and a lot of energy to be that transformational um, type uh, leader or a business or a ward or whatever, a family. And it's all about doing it differently and finding different ways that are going to make impact. And we can go on and on as far as the intent or how intentional you are during that process, the why behind it. But um, like you can't do it the same way um, and the same way that it's always been done. A business, you know, they talk about raising money a typical way. This is the way you start a business. This is the way you run a business. I think every business has its own life. It's very unique in and of itself, just like a child is very unique. And the way that you raise each of your children is going to be different, I believe, in some small, minute way. Mm. We all realize that with your three kids, right? Yeah. And your six kids and my seven kids, you raise those you raise those children a bit differently. But sure in the heck, we're not going to raise them the same way that the family is down the street. And I don't think anyone should raise it the exact same way because everyone is unique and every situation is unique. So therefore, do it differently. Yeah. And I'm curious to like how you approach that with just the different traditions that are in an organization like a ward or, or, and maybe even with the structure change and whatnot, but a lot of bishops have the former bishop who's now in the pews saying, Hey, why are you changing what I did? Right. Yeah. Is there, was there any, uh, resistance there with sort of pushing back on tradition or how it was done? No, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, we did have a ward split, so that changed as far as the the bishop then got released and yeah. was in another ward, and he's a phenomenal man and such a such a great human being. But isn't that what's great about leadership? And and we look at other leaders and we hope and pray that they lead differently. We hope and pray that they actually do things better than we did. I mean, that old adage when you we talk to a dad or a father or a mother, you know, we raise our children to be better than we were mm. and than who we are. And uh, I hope that's the same way with any leader coming into a new position or who's leaving an old role or calling um, realizes, you know what, hopefully I made a little better, but the next person be- in front of me is going to make it that much better. That's such an interesting assumption because I think the normal assumption is that I'm going to offend the person who was in this role before. And you're saying you can make the opposite assumption, which is they're actually rooting for you to improve it. They're rooting for you to do something better and different. Absolutely. hundred percent. I hope that's the case. That should be the driver. We should all be looking, you know, we should have our pom-poms out, rooting them on, on the sidelines saying, how do I support you? Go get them. And let's do this differently. Let me help you improve upon this because your mindset and the way that you come into this role and into this calling it's different than the way that I came into it from my perspective and from my background. That's the way it should be on any calling, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else as far as the, the, uh, the me too doesn't work that we haven't uh, touched on to unpack it pretty well. Yeah. I, I, again, I think it's just do it differently. That's yeah. what matters. Maybe that's the way we word it. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, you know, as far as leadership's concern or awards concern or stake, or whatever it may be in any calling is like, how do I do it differently? But that's where personal revelation comes in play is like, well, how am I supposed to do this differently? Yeah. And then you're seeking that guidance, that help. Let me work upon this because I'm not going to do it the exact same way. No way. Why? Because I know it can be better. Teach me, guide me, lead me, help this become better than it was before. Yeah. So if we were to ask uh, or survey your the members of your ward, what would they say Bishop Greer does different than than other leaders? He's crazy. <laughs> He's a little wild, <laughs> uh, maybe unorthodox. Um, he likes to use a lot of words like so and awesome and incredible. <laughs> and I've had members tell me that before. Um, I mean, even I'm sure there are members in general think that maybe it's being ran like a business, but that's not the case. I hope there's more feeling to that. But there's a I hope it's not me, but I hope as a ward when they walk in and any visitor that walks in, they're like, why does it feel a little different in here? What is that feeling that I have? Like, why do I feel just a little unique? Why do I feel like the sacrament meeting is not going to be the norm? 
I hope that's what they say. And it doesn't have to do with me. It has to do with the war, the way that we've structured things. Why is there two special musical numbers? Why are they singing a primary song as their closing song? Why is the youth actually leading the music? Why is there actually one of the youth who's one of the priests saying the opening prayer or whatever it may be? Like it just feels there's those little small mm. details that they're like, why does it feel differently? And that's what matters. It's like, well, you know what? Because the gospel is different. We do things differently. And recently we heard in a talk as far as being unique mm -hmm. and being different. In fact, embrace that, love that. So why don't we build upon that? Yeah. And, and so with these, like, the, is it mainly for these, just these little pattern interrupts? I mean, it's great to maybe involve youth in, in different ways as well, but, um, it, it does because we've been going to church for so long. We sort of just assume, you know, how this works, you know, the, the husband and wife talk and, you know, this is who gives the closing prayer, but is it the pattern interrupts that then have them lean into the rest of the meeting that you've put together? Yeah. I mean, we, we work off traditions, right? Within yeah. the church, we work off traditions. It's about the tradition in our yeah. families. It's tradition. It's all based. Well, that's the tradition. That's the way it's always done. Well, should we ask ourselves the question? Well, why is it done that way? And then how should it be done and how can we actually build upon it? Well, the tradition you may think should be done one way, but the why behind the tradition is something completely different. Well, let's actually start building off of the tradition and adding to the tradition and making what you deem quote unquote traditional, um, something a little different, a little bit better. And it's like, wow, that just feels special. And you continue to actually, the tradition is, is something special, right? It's something that's like, it will always be there in the past you're grateful for that you cling to or you you uh, you grab onto, but it's the future of building upon that, that tradition that you get excited about and you're part of that tradition building, if that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean, because traditions, is, you know, we sometimes put it in a negative connot connotation that, you no, know, tradition could be a great thing as long as we have purpose and meaning yeah. behind it, right? Yeah. yeah, and it, it seems like, I mean, you mentioned that your word would describe you as crazy and wild. And, and, I, and yeah, I would just plan around. I, I, I know, know, but yeah. you have a lot of energy, right? Yeah. So so it seems like this is part of who you are. It's it's what you bring to built. It's what you brought to past companies. It's what you brought to past callings. And now you're getting to bring it into this role as, as being a bishop. What, what would you say to leaders, either in your ward context or uh, even those who are working in a corporate setting, who maybe don't feel that same sort of personality uh, in their leadership roles? Like what is the answer for them? I, you know, it's, that's an awesome question. It's a great question. Cause I think we're a little scared to do things differently and it's safe. And, and in fact, I get uncomfortable when I'm comfortable. And so like a lot of times with leaders, I would say, if you're comfortable, maybe you should be a little uncomfortable. If you're safe, maybe you should actually feel not so safe. Um, maybe it's okay to actually do things just a little bit differently. And I'm not saying the principles of the doctrine, you're never changing that. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I had a conversation with two members yesterday talking about tradition. And of course, immediately it was like, okay, Bishop Greer, you want to get rid of tradition? No, like I'm the tradition king. I love traditions, but I love improving upon those traditions. I love making them better for the time that we're in right now and understanding why we do it that way. And so for leaders themselves, as far as business leaders, church leaders, or just, you know, a, a mom or a dad, I have to say like, well, how do you continually make it better? How are you continually making yourself better and improving upon that? Don't be scared of it. Get uncomfortable when you're comfortable. Get uneasy when you're feeling easy. And I, I'm telling you, it, it will be amazing by the direction that, that you go in, but others around you, how they start they start actually gravitating towards it and it becomes part of your culture. It becomes part of their culture. It becomes like they start trusting in it. They start adding to it. I mean, it's amazing. Then all of a sudden you're stepping back and you're watching them start making those decisions and start seeing in that light. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that, that tradition obviously has a role to play in stabilizing an organization or a community over time. Right. But then the world changes and we get stuck on those traditions that served us so well for a different time that are no longer in alignment with what the world is asking or, or demanding of us at this moment. And so I'm curious if you've seen in your perspective, like, uh, is this new, new kind of leadership, is it something that's a response to the way the world is now that maybe it wasn't 
20 or 50 years ago? Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, plain and simple, is, is it how the world is today? I think the world's always been revolving and it's always been changing. And maybe the rate at which it's changing is, is at a more increased speed. And so mm -hmm. it's moving faster. Yes, absolutely. So therefore we have to be moving faster. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to be prepared and, uh, and be, you know, making sure we're staying up with that. But I, for me, my personality is that attack mode. Like, and it's, it's a mindset of like, I'm attacking. I'm always being prepared to actually being like, even with the war we, we talked about specifically, ready to take a charge. So in basketball, it's like the coach, I remember used to say, be ready for that charge. So you're inside the key. It's like, I'm planting my feet down and I'm ready for the charge. And so why? Because I'm firm in my foundation and I'm ready to take that charge, but I'm ready, personal foul on the adversary, great, but I'm getting up and I'm booking down the court and I already forgot about that personal foul and I'm moving down and I'm attacking to go score score the next mm -hmm. shot. I'm, I'm on my defensive mode, right? Mm -hmm. As far as taking the charge, but now I'm offensively attacking. Well, how can we have the mindset of offensively attacking, being ready to attack anything that's coming at us at any time, any direction, anything whatsoever? You gotta be on your A game. You gotta be on your A game all the time. Whether you're a church leader or a father, a mother or a business leader, wherever you yeah. may be, that attack mode matters. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of time church members or employees they find a lot of comfort in the traditions and the stability, the predictability. I can come to work every day and I can anticipate what my day is going to be like, or I can come to sacrament meeting and anticipate what it's going to be like. And when it's not that, and when it's repeatedly not that, that can get them uncomfortable. That yeah. can get them kind of reeling a little bit. And you already mentioned a conversation you had yesterday with, with two of your uh, congregation members. Who are great. Right. Yeah. But I'm curious, how do you as a leader help the congregation or the employees into that change is frequent and constant mentality. Yeah. It's not chaos. You're basically, you're not, you know, you're not sitting there just creating chaos. There's absolute order to the change. I mean, there's a rhyme and reason to the change, but you're not afraid of the change if it's necessary. Mm. Like you're not afraid of it. You're not afraid that, uh, you know what, you have a second speaker ready to speak and they're prepared and you pass them a note saying, you know what, can you hold this talk for a few more weeks? There's a few things that need to be say, said. Mm -hmm. Like you're not afraid for that. If the spirit is telling you that, it's plain and simple, you just do it. And so you're not afraid when, when you get prompted to do something that that change is like, it's okay. And there's no fear towards that change. And then people get used to the fact that like they're actually the consistency or the tradition, as we want to call it, is, oh, we're excited for little changes along the way like that. Because it actually brings life into the congregation. It brings life into this meeting. It brings life back into like what I'm actually fighting for day in and day out. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I'm intrigued by this concept of, of attack mode, because I think in the professional business context, it makes a lot of sense to be really aggressive and whatnot. And, and maybe that example of like, sometimes you just have to make a call of, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, call an audible here in sacrament meeting and, and bump you two weeks or whatever it is. But what other ways does this attack mode, how does it manifest itself in the church leadership context for you? Oh, wow. Uh, you know what? It's like, it's so easy to say in the moment. It's hard to say out of the moment. Yeah. Um, I think it's constantly be ready for, you know, that inspiration constantly ready. Like, well, we're just going to do things a little bit differently. Um, we have a longstanding tradition in our town, um, on Christmas Eve. And, uh, I would tell you most bishops, uh, in the past, uh, it's a little, it's a little nerve wracking to say, we're going to train, change almost a hundred year tradition. Um, well, we're not changing the tradition. We're just changing the way that we're going to go about the tradition. Um, instead of the ward being in charge of this tradition on Christmas Eve and then getting the primary involved and primary presidency, and then the bishop has to speak and give the message and it's on Christmas Eve night. It's like, well, what was the tradition in the first, first place? It was the community. Well, let's make sure the community then. Oh, who in the community wants to be involved? Who wants to actually own this as a community? It's not a church calling. Mm -hmm. Well, let's disrupt this. And so you're mm -hmm. not afraid to disrupt the fact that you're not changing tradition. You're changing the way that we went about it. And I would say like, well, there's moments like that all the time. You're like, okay, 
Um, maybe it's a certain uh, Christmas sacrament meeting and the way that things are always done or have been done. Well, what's the spirit directing us? Let's try something different. And it's okay to be different. Yeah. And it, uh, sometimes for people, that's hard. It's like, no, this is the way it's always done. Well, yeah, but this is the way that we're going to try this right now. And it's okay. Yeah. And let's give this a try because you may actually find out that it's even better. Again, I don't mean to like repeat myself too much, but we can't be afraid of change. Look at our prophet. Look what he's doing. It's like, it's so beautiful. The Lord's like, okay, time to rattle things up. It's time to change. Yeah. Let's do it. And I'm like, I welcome it. I love it. Now, what do we do at conferences? What are we all like expecting? What's the tradition now? We expect what's the change going to be this time? I'm like, oh, yeah. like there's just no change. Uh, just another six temples. That's it. You're like, what? That's incredible. Yeah. But we're actually starting to get trained, right, for conferences for change, which yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah. And what I'm learning, like that in, being in that attack mode is like no, knowing that you're ready to act when this, when that prompting comes, regardless of, Always. Of, of, of other things that other pressures that are maybe pushing against that. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about, about culture and culture is everything as, as you've uh, outlined here. I'm curious to first start in the context of, of here at built, like in a company like this, I think they said you have three fifty or so employees. How, how do you establish culture in, in that size of a group? Cause that's maybe close to a typical ward size. Yeah. It's actually more like 450, but uh, nice. Um, and so therefore a ward size. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's a feeling that you have. It's the details that totally matter. It's when you, as a customer, when you walk in the doors, what was the feeling you had? Like you tell me, what was the feeling when you walked in the doors? Man, there's some energy here, upbeat. I mean, they're not on their last dollar. Like it's like, this is a growing company. Like it, it was very positive. There's a NASCAR car <laughs> in the front lobby. I mean, are you, are you recommending this for our ward buildings? Yes. We, seriously, it's time to put NAS couches, a NASCAR that's a couch in our lobbies. Yeah. But, but more seriously, to your point, um, the receptionists at the front, as we were waiting, um, they started to talk to us. Yeah. Have you been here before? Have you seen the car? Have you let, let us talk to you? Let us share with right. us, share with you our energy and excitement for what we're doing here. Right. Small details. Now, if we were to take a tour throughout this whole um, uh, place, I would hope the feeling that you have when you leave is even more powerful. Mm -hmm. It's even more energetic. So that is culture is the feeling of someone from the outside coming in saying, what is this? And now this is a, this is a mystery to me. Like, how do they create this? I believe culture should be a little mysterious. It's like, I don't know everything in the why, but I know what I felt and I know how I felt it when I walked in and I, I kind of want to hang out there longer. That's culture. So when a team member comes in, do they feel that safety? Do they feel that like, hey, you know what? There is something here. They're not on their last dollar. Hmm. Or you know what? I want to add to this culture or I want to add to the energy. I want to bring my very best every day. I want to be innovative. I want to be creative. You see our innovation lab here immediately yeah. as you walk in the corner, you're like, wait, what are they creating? There's a curiosity, right? Well, how do you create that curiosity? How do you create that excitement behind that? And so it just goes on and on and on when you build that within a business. And how many flavors are you guys up to now? Like 89 so far in three years. So, so Baskin Robbins only made it to 39. I know. Is that right? Can you believe that? <laughs> you so guys weak. have gone to 89. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't offer that on our website, but that's over the years, the that's last awesome. three years. Yeah. That's awesome. And then and you've mentioned some things already, but anything else as far as how you create that mysticism or the, uh, of, of culture in your in the award setting? Wow. Um, that's a little, it's a little different. Of course, the sure. flavor of the day is a little different. <laughs> You're not creating so many different flavors. You got a candy bowl in your yeah, office. Well, I hope. Yeah, yeah. There's some candy bowls. There's bouncy balls. There's different things. <laughs> and you make sure everyone has a built bar in their home. That's you know, right. In the that's right. But, uh, a book of Mormon and a built and, bar. But yeah, that's right. And uh, maybe some swag to it at the same time, <laughs> you know, within it, within a ward, it's I, I first and foremost. Um, and that's something here at a company is the love like, how do they feel? Are they appreciated? Are they accepted? Are they loved no matter who they are? On a ward level, I don't care who you are or what part of the journey you're at or where you are at. Like, we are going to love you like no other, period. And you're going to feel the love of Christ, period. That's all that matters. So when you walk in those doors, immediately you're going to feel that love, period. That's what gets me excited. And so when we actually testify, proclaim of that over the pulpit in classes or wherever else, at, wherever else it may be within the church, 
That's the culture. It is purely a culture of love, mm-hmm. plain and simple. It's not a complicated, a complicated mm-hmm. strategy. Yeah. And there are, are there any specific routines either that you do personally or with your word council that sort of perpetuates that, that culture? You know, it's um, our Relief Society president. So we tag team together on this for the last year and a half. And we do go in different iterations in different ways. But we've got a text message that goes out to the ward council. And right now, like, for example, I got a text this morning. We're praying specifically for one family on the entire ward council every day. And I'll read this. In fact, I'll read the text just from this morning. I won't read the family name. It says, today pray for, and then it names the couple and family. Pray that they may build their foundation upon Jesus Christ and learn how to draw upon his power, and which comes from President Nelson's talk, and have a greater desire to attend the temple often. Wow. And uh, and every day it's like a pause, and I send her a little heart emoji. And uh, after I sit and I just stop and I pray, and it's amazing that immense amount of love that you feel for that that family. And you visualize them and you feel them. And immensely, it's just like you like, I love that family. And I'm like, I, I haven't prayed for him yet, but I'll tell you when I do today. So I, I put the little heart emo- or the heart, uh, the love, right? Instead of yeah. the like, I love it, not like it. Uh-huh. Big difference. I don't know <laughs> sure. if you knew that with your wife, when you love her comment and not like it. But uh, oh my goodness, the spirit is so strong. And I know, I know the family is feeling that. That's one thing that we do nice. of many things. So is that, so that goes out to your full word council? Yes. And is it? Always coming from the Relief Society president or do people take turns or how does it so work? So she organized all of it, all of it. And so that's how we, we keep it organized. She's fantastic on that. Awesome. Yeah. Any other, I love those type of, uh, type of, uh, tactics that, that wards use anything else that you would say that perpetuates positive culture? Um, I think it's, it's being consistent, you know, with it. It's, uh, it's not just saying it, but it's doing it. And we're all trying to figure it out. Yeah. The whole ministering, you know, program, we're all trying to figure out what that really means but how we minister and who we minister to every ward's a little different and unique. And I don't think necessarily what we do is going to be any right. different or better than, than others. I just think it's, it's, it works great for our ward. And, uh, this is, you know, it's, I mean, you can, you, you maybe need to come to our, our sacrament meeting one time and you just tell me what you feel. Yeah. You may walk away like, well, that was pretty lame. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> typical, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. But, but the point is that you're, you're intentionally trying to make it atypical that, that people feel something different, you know, without, you know, really stepping outside the lines or anything, but, but you want it to be a, a an experience they remember. I, well, you know what? Think about this for a second. If you're not a member of the church, but you like, you want to seek Jesus, like you want to find Jesus, like, where are you going to go? And so like, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if you're in the church and you really haven't found Jesus yet and you haven't found Christ yet, well, I want them to come to our ward and I want them to find him there. And they he, they find him through us and through our love to them. And like, we don't care who they are. We don't care if they haven't been for 15 years. I don't care how you look on the outside. It's like, it's the intent on the inside of what you have a desire. And I'll tell you right now, every youth that comes in and sits down with me and they say, Bishop, this is what's going on. First thing I tell them like, I am so pumped that you just told me that. They're like, well, you're pumped? Yes. Like, if you could see me right now, I'm a cheerleader, and I got my pom-poms out. I'm rooting you on, and I'm going, you just came in my office. That right there is tells me you have a desire to change. You have a desire to do good. And I could tell you right now, Heavenly Father and Lord is cheering you on like crazy. They're like, he is? Yes, because everyone is so beat up in the society right now. Yeah. They are getting beat up. No, we need to love them up and stop beating them up. Mm. And that's what we've got to be doing. Yeah. And it's like, especially our youth. And so I'm telling you, the youth right now, our youth, we always come around back to, okay, how do the youth drive this activity as a ward? Mm. Because if the youth are driving it, who else is going to be behind them driving it with them? Their parents. And who else? Their family. And if their family and if their family is uniting through this cause and the youth are driving this, whatever it may be, for heaven's sakes, guess what's going to happen? They're going to start coming back to church. So it's like the youth is the center of what we're going after as a ward. And they're like, well, Bishop, that's your responsibility. Well, yeah, but guess what? There's a reason why the Lord formatted that way of saying the youth, Bishop, focus on them. Yeah. Because youth are going to bring back their parents and make sure that they're more active and more willing to serve. 
Awesome. I'm, I'm wondering, because I do a lot with positive leadership, and, and so you're kind of modeling positive leadership in the ward setting, positive leadership in the work setting. One of the critiques of positive leadership is that it's naive and that it can't cope with real problems. So can you talk to us a little bit about how your approach to leadership deals with things when they get messy, when you have an employee who's underperforming or you have some error that was committed that is a, uh, an error that must be dealt with or in the ward setting, you have conflict that can't just be left the way it is. Like how, how does your approach fit into that situation? Um, I was going to make a joke really fast. I'm like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I got to take this serious. Uh, that question's a great question. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like you can't be afraid of conflict. Like being positive doesn't mean that you're naive or um, not ready to go attack and take on conflict head on. Um, in fact, it's taken me years and it's going to take me my whole life to try to figure this out. But I'm less and le I'm less and less afraid of conflict. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, conflict. Great. Let's get to conflict quick because we're going to get to resolution quick and the resolution. Great. Well, that means we can move forward quickly. And I like to move forward quickly. So give me the conflict, give me the issue, let's get through it. What's the resolution and let's move forward. And on a work level, if we keep saying, seeing the same habits, I can't train the intangibles. You know, like there's the intangibles of leadership, the intangibles of doing, you know, work. And I can't train someone to work hard. I can try all day long to create the right processes, but if they can't perform at a certain level, then we have to move on. Or maybe there's another role. First and foremost, we may put them in another position. You know, we've had to make we've had to make some changes within the ward level. Yeah, it wasn't anything to do with the individual. It was like, well, we kind of made a mistake. My wife had to tell me early on. Okay, Nick, now listen. Um, so these ward members, they're not like like employees. So you can't fire them quickly. And I'm like, I know, honey, don't worry about that. She goes, no. So you can't sit there and call them and like two months later go, oh, let's move into another role because that's what you do at work. So you have to be a little more careful with it on a church level, of course, because, you know, none of us are getting paid last time I checked. And so, you know, I, you have to approach a little differently with work than you do with church for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, let's talk about belief structures. So uh, you know, getting people to, to have that belief in what you're doing as an organization is, how would you unpack that or understand that? You know, beliefs or trust level, I, I believe it comes with small wins. You've got to, you've got to give wins and meaning you've got to see, allow people to see victories along the way, because when they start seeing the victories, like any other sports team, you start believing in that team, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you create the little wins along the way? Well, I'm going to create them constantly. I want you individually to win and I want us as a team to win. So how do we see that? Well, it, at first they're going to be a bit um, hesitant. They may not want to do it. They may not be excited about it. So what do you do? Like, well, okay, that's all right. Let's just get to a small win and let's do it quickly. Hmm. Uh, that's how a belief system or how a trust your, the level of trust will start and then how it increases from there. Yeah. And that's helpful, especially like leaders can sometimes have a bold vision, but it's sort of a daunting vision. And the ward's looking at you like, you're a crazy bishop if you think you were going to do that. But to shrink it down and say, well, let's just focus on what we how we can win this week. Right. And then right. We'll, we'll get to that at some point. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like there's a small goal that we all go through as, as bishops, as stake presidents. It's like, well, what's what's the baptism goal? Yeah. Like, what's the goal? And you're like, well, where's this coming from? Well, it's coming from the area of presidency. Well, who, okay, we, I can see the line where this, so they just want a number. They just want a number. So I just send back a number and then like, you don't hold me accountable for that number. No, don't worry about it. Just send me a number of baptisms. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is, this is not the right system. Like this doesn't make any sense. I was resistant to it. Then I realized, wait a minute. Okay. What is that? What is the underlying theme of that? How do I actually build the belief and we can actually baptize well, let's not focus on the baptism. Let's focus on the invitation. So let's actually have a goal of inviting. And so we change the goal of, okay, this is how many invitations we're going to make to activities. And mm -hmm. so like, well, what do we do? It's like, well, as a ward council and as a ward and as ministers, it's like, well, it's just the invitation. 
just like we got to make sure we're inviting. We're just inviting. It's not, well, good. We, we accomplished it. Now come and enjoy and partake with us. Yeah. We're not so worried about like, are they going to get baptized? Once they get into like the first barbecue or the first activity, <laughs> you're like, they're like, dude, we, you scared us and no, we're never coming back again. <laughs> and so I sent off the first goal one time, like, here's the invitation. Like, can you give us a baptismal goal? Okay, great. Here's the invitation goal. And here's the baptismal goal. Nice. And so we focused on that. So it creates a belief within the ward of like, this is what we're going after. Yeah. And then how organized or structured is that invitation, you know, effort amongst the ward? Is it something you're you're bringing up each week or I mean, how does that work? Listen, I think we accomplished it within the first 30 days. So I'm not worried about like, well, let's have this, you know, dashboard uh -huh. and making sure that we have this many. <laughs> you kind of want to make it part of the DNA. Again, yeah. back to the culture. Right. It's just it's a culture of inviting. So we're always inviting. Like a matter of fact, why, why wouldn't you invite? Yeah. Like just come to this. Yeah. It's not like, well, should we go invite the Joneses down the street who aren't members? No, like just we always invite them. Yeah. We always, it's about the invitation and then the goal is always accomplished. Yeah. And I love this concept of getting it into their DNA because, you know, and you can, it's very easy to get, uh, you know, focus on the number of it, especially if, you know, you run a business and Monday through Friday and you're focusing on numbers and then you naturally default into that mode of saying, but instead of saying, you know, how many visits, ministering visits do we get? It's more of like, how do we create something so that it's in their DNA that they just naturally do this. And that's where we're going to put our effort. Right. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then, uh, as far as like maximizers, I mean, you, you, I was writing quickly here as far as like maximizers, activating strengths, like I'm, I'm curious cause you mentioned you use the strength finder a lot here at built and in your hiring process, make sure you have the right people on, um, on staff and whatnot, but how do you recognize strengths and you know, make sure everybody's engaged on that ward level. Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, no, it's, it's sometimes you wish you could like have everyone on a ward level, take a strength finder and you're like, okay, based upon the calling, <laughs> all right, let's go on these strengths. And I call them like, well, okay, I'll use the spirit a little bit more yeah, than yeah. strengths and make sure I depend upon the Lord, you know, within that. But you know, in, in general, as far as strengths are concerned, um, when you start understanding people's strengths, um, you don't get upset at them as much. You realize, mm -hmm. oh, that's that's why they do what they do. You know, for my wife and I, for example, when we understand each other's strengths, I'm like, oh, number one and number two is discipline and responsibility for my wife. She's like a pure executor and she's very disciplined and she's very responsible. Well, my number 33 and 34 are discipline and responsibility. <laughs> And so it's like, I can actually change on a dime and be like, I can be very spontaneous. Like, let's just, let's go to Hawaii tomorrow. Let's do that. Are you kidding me? We got the kids school. We got this. I'm like, do not let their education get in the way of their, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, honey, seriously, we're going to have some fun doing this. But, you know, I think with ward members, when you understand their strengths, man, you love them so much more. When you understand where they're coming from, their background, you love, oh, it's just, it's incredible that you just want to embrace them. So how do you do that across the board to anyone you come in contact with? And so it's like those strengths also, though, can become your weaknesses when you overuse those strengths. And in my case, you know, the maximizer, the futuristic, the activator, like when I'm trying to move too fast and taking mm -hmm. action, I may be bulldozing people and it may be a weakness where it should be a strength. So you got to back off of that a little bit. And recognizing that in other individuals, oh, they're overusing their strength. And uh, and so it's like, how can I actually help them to back off of it and maybe diffuse it a little mm. bit? Yeah, that's interesting that, that strengths, that, like they can grow wild, right? And and work against you, even though they're they're your strength. Right. right? And, and keeping that in check, because, you know, I think a lot of people maybe experience a, a bishop or a leader who sort of bulldozes everybody, or you just sort of sit in the room waiting for him to make the decision, yeah. right? And, uh they're keeping that in check, right? Yeah. And then I'd love that you mentioned this natural path to empathy when, you know, it's easy to delegate things and be like, oh, look, they dropped the ball. They did it wrong. I'll just do it next time. But instead of have empathy, it's like, well, maybe that's just not their strength. Maybe we could, you know, I'm going to be a little more patient there or find another place or a way that they can have influence here rather than just thinking, oh, they're doing it wrong. Right. right. Yeah. You know, when you, when you sit in council, uh, with any council that you're in, you understand when you understand their strengths and you love them and have that empathy, which I'm working on, by the way, like the empathy <laughs> side of it. Um, wow. Councils are so effective. And then you realize like, I need everyone's strength in this entire council. Like I need, I need everyone. I need to dig into everyone's strength 
because that's how we're actually going to come up with revelation and the answer. And that's what's empowering. Then you're like, wow, like yesterday we had this council ward council. We walked away. I'm like, that was the best council ever. Well, everyone was participating and giving input on some of these things that we're working through. And it was powerful because the spirit's like, boom, here's what you got to do. Mm. And it was loud. It was like just clear as day. Mm-hmm. And but that's because everyone was using their strengths and you're recognizing them. And so when there was a moment of we're a little weak, it was easy to go to an individual, to a sister and say, hey, I knew this is where her strength was. What do you think on this? And then, boom, she fed us with more information from her perspective. And the spirit was able to testify. All right, let's do that now. This kind of goes back to something you were saying at the beginning about how it takes time, it takes energy to get to know the people and to connect with them on an individual basis. And, and then you bring that around full circle to this idea of knowing their strengths and how to employ those in even just a limited situation like a single meeting. What about those leaders out there that are feeling overwhelmed and they're saying, wow, I mean, you're in a situation where you're the founder of an organization, you're the father of seven, right? You have a grandchild that lives next door. You got a lot going on in addition to trying to get to know two or three or 400 people's strengths and to know how to deploy those. How does that all work in your life? You don't need to know two, three, 400 on awards, you know, sake, you know, three or four or 500 people's strengths. Like, know your bishopric strengths Mm. and know your ward council strengths and delegate like no other and trust like no other. Um, There's a reason why they're in that calling. I I mean, it's, you're like, well, they had, of course that's simple, but I can't No, try it. And then try it. In fact, try it even twice as much as what you're doing and then try it two times even more. And then keep doubling down on how much you're leaning in or leaning on or leaning to you know, unto the, uh, the ward council that you have in the bishopric, you know, for me, it's like, I'm always coming back to, and it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a generational thing for members to understand that, wait, the bishop really needs to be focusing on the youth because they still come to the bishop for, Hey, I need help. I need help. Bishop only bishop can handle this. Well, no, I'm going to keep leaning into the elders quorum president or the relief society president. Well, bishop, don't you want to go visit these people? Yeah. I mean, I'll check in. I like you to be the person that's doing that. Well, because I'm going to spend time with my family after I'm really focusing, I'm going to spend it with my family, but I'm also going to involve the young men, the young women. But my focus is making sure that the young women are solid and the young men are solid, that both all the youth, they're like, they are, their testimonies are solid. And, And like, that's my focus. And I'm going to make sure of that. Well, I'm going to make sure I love the ward like no other, but I need the help of each organization and each organization president to like, I need to lean into them like a ton. And I don't know if I'm doing justice by the clarity of how I'm, 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 uh, I'm saying this, but depend upon them like no other. And I think too often we feel like as a bishop or as a certain leader, well, you know, if it ought to be, it's up to me mindset. No, if it ought to be, it's up to them and it's up to the Lord and now trust them a little bit more. I think that word trust, right? Because so often we're afraid they will drop the ball, to Kurt's point earlier. We're afraid they're going to fail and then we'll be left holding, you know, that the results. So it's easier just to do it yourself right from the beginning. But when you're building something bigger than just solving this one problem, it makes it easier to, to let go. You, you mentioned something just barely I want to follow up on. You said, you said, I want to make sure that the young women are set and that the young men are set. I'm struck by the fact that you brought in the young women and you brought them in first because I think when the the young men's presidency was was eliminated and the bishops were moved into more of a direct role with the young men at least structurally I think they were always supposed to be there um, a lot of people felt like that was devaluing the young women because now the bishopric wasn't available to them what are your thoughts about that and how do you approach uh, you know supporting and, and loving and leading the young women oh my goodness I think it's just the opposite you're tag teaming like no other with that young women's president you're holding ward youth council every single month. You're holding a, a ironic priesthood council every single month. You're holding the uh, young women council every single month. You know, we, we focus on those two councils outside the ward youth council on personal revelation. So like our focus for that half hour to 45 minutes is like, tell me about your personal revelation the last month, you know, regarding the girls in your classes. Tell me about the personal revelation regarding the young men in your quorums. And like, they start realizing, wow, like the bishops like dependent upon me to receive this revelation. Yeah, I need your help 
because we need to circle the wagons around those young women and we need to circle the wagons around those young men as much as possible. So I need to lean, lean in like a ton, help me. And like, um, I don't know, Bishop. Okay, next month, that's what we're talking about. That's, I need it. In fact, I'm gonna follow up with you this next week and ask like in church, what's going on? And they start realizing, um, I've got a responsibility there. Yeah, I'm dependent upon you. And in fact, the way that I sit them up, I don't have the leaders. They're like on the sides, We the, how we set up the chairs. It's just me, like with the, the young women's pre- class presidents, me and my two counselors with the young men's, you know, quorum presidents. And it's like everyone else, like, it's like I have very few adult members there on the side. Like I want to be talking to those youth. And so you start depending upon these youth more and more and they start realizing their responsibility. Like they start realizing I need to rise up. I need to step up. I'm not just going to go coast, you know, or drift like the whole drifting concept. That's what a lot of youth are doing. No, there's no time to drift. My friend, there is no time to drift. And we got to get out of that drifting mindset. And they start seeing that power, like realizing, all right, let's go, Bishop. Let's do this. Well, I mean, we talk about the KPI in the business setting yeah. and how does that concept translate to the word setting? But you just introduced a new KPI, right? Which is monthly. Are you receiving revelation for the the girls or the boys that you serve with in your calling? And the fact that the, the nominal leader in this conversation is going to follow up with you, hold you accountable for that. They start to ingrain like, oh, this is the metric that matters. Am I receiving personal revelation? Yeah. And guess what? Guess what we're doing on top of that? If we're talking KPIs, I, I, I'm even going down to presidency meetings. How often? At first, well, you know, every month or so. No. You know what? I want you to meet weekly. And like, okay, weekly. And, you know, you start looking at young men's leaders, young women's leaders oh, weekly. Hey, as a bishopric, we meet, meet weekly and we don't have enough time to talk about everything, all the revelation that's coming to us. So you need to meet weekly. And that consistency of weekly, now they start realizing we're talking about the girls. We're thinking about the girls. We're thinking about them constantly. And that's another KPI, if you want to mm-hmm. quote it that way, right? Mm-hmm. As far as they understand that this is important. And you've got to make sure they understand it is the Lord's work is important. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, they are important. And when they realize that, then they start taking the bull by the horns and they start running with it. And they start realizing man, the Lord really, like, he really trusts me. And when they get that concept that the Lord trusts them, especially in this calling, they start trusting themselves more. And when they start trusting themselves more, watch out. Watch out, world, because these LDS, these kids, these kids, these leaders are going to change the world. They're going to impact the world. That's why I focus on them. Yeah, I think another really important you know, angle to your story that you just shared with how you work with the youth is a willingness to give time for them to grow into that because they're not used to that, right? So if we come and on day one, we expect them to rise up and be these amazing leaders because we just decided today was the day. Well, they're also fighting against years and years of culture, decades that go beyond their lifetime. And so to come week after week, month after month and say, this is the expectation, knowing and believing that at some point this flower is going to bloom and you can't lose that vision of what they will become. And then all of a sudden one day they show up and you're like, leader. I I love that you said vision because one of the first things that we've done with the youth and, and the thing that we keep building with them, we've got to continue to do better with is. I want them to visualize the type of tree they're going to become. Mm. I want them to visualize 30, 40, 50 years. Like, where do you want to be? Because we talk about that drifting mindset. So many of the kids, like, they, I don't know, after high school, I've got a lot of a youth that goes, well, I don't know if I'm going to serve a mission. Well, what are you going to do? Let's talk. That's fine. Let's not worry about the mission part right now. Tell me what you're going to do. Paint that vision. But you're painting it for a year from now. But let's paint it five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And then you actually have them close their eyes and you're like, I want you to visualize this for a second. And then you start painting that picture and they start visualizing where they could be and where they will be and where the Lord intends them to be. Then what you start getting them to do is they start growing those roots. And those roots are the most important thing that we can help them grow. So then they can blossom into that flower, into that tree, into something magnificent that they're intended to be. But too often they just, I don't know, I just got to kind of grow up. It's like, no, no, hold on. Let's get you deeper. And let's let's talk about that, the why behind why we're going to grow those roots. 
And I think you you like the 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 um, distinction between transactional leadership and transformational yes. leadership, right? What you're describing is a very transformational perspective, whereas sort of a typical transactional perspective in the church is how do we get this kid on a mission, right? It's a problem that we need to solve. And we approach the kid like that. And pretty soon the kid starts to feel like a problem that's trying to be solved versus this other perspective that says, let's let go of whether or not you're going to serve a mission in two years or four years. And let's focus on growing you and helping your vision develop and helping connect you to Christ in new and interesting ways. And then let's trust that at the right time, the spirit will speak to you and you'll stand up and say, I'd like to go serve a mission. Yeah, I love that you just said that. This is the the unorthodox way of doing it and where it's like maybe a little crazy. But you know, you start paying, you start saying that and parents are like, whoa, whoa, did you just tell my kid not to go on a mission? Yeah, I did. I didn't tell him not to go on a mission. I said, don't worry about that right now. Let's let's worry on something more important and that's you. And let's like, let's build a better you. And And, and it's like, you know what? even when they come in and they talk about certain issues and they're like, Bishop, I don't think I should take the sacrament. No, 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 brother, take the sacrament. No, this is good. Let's let the atonement really work in your life, but let's let, let's let the Lord really work in your life, but let's let you understand who the Lord really is. Are you ready? Cause I'll fight with you if you're ready to fight. Hmm. And they're like, well, what does it mean? Like, what does it can take to fight? I'm like, just tell me, are you ready to put up the fight? Because I'm going to be standing by your side and the Lord's going to be standing by your side and you're going to have others standing by your side ready to fight. But I need to know you're ready to fight. I'm ready to fight. Then let's go fight. Let's not worry about all these other things. Don't worry about coming to quorum. Don't worry about coming to this. Like, let's just fight for these other reasons. Like, okay, Bishop, let's fight. What are we fighting for? We're fighting for you. And then it's like you start creating this plan, but it's their creating the vision. They start creating the vision. And anytime someone can create a vision, for themselves, what are they going to do? They're going to fight a hundred times harder. Mm. But anytime you have to constantly be creating a vision for your child, for your youth, for your employees, what are they going to do? Resist it. They're going to resist it. I don't know. I don't understand it. It's not clear to me. No, no, no. Like all you're trying to do is you're a facilitator of them coming up with Mm. their own vision. And then they start fighting like crazy. Man, that's when it gets powerful. That's when it gets fun. And like they saw it, it clicked. That's when you're like, all right, reward, payback. They're starting to see the wins. I love that. Yeah. And that's transformational. Yeah. Awesome. I'm curious, you mentioned just that, you know, you've really made an emphasis to delegate to your uh, elders corn president or relief site president. What, what are those typical things that maybe, you know, five years ago you would have tried to take on or a typical bishop maybe would have tried to take on themselves or, and how are you? delegating like how are you empowering those two uh callings um man i'm gonna i'm gonna most people are gonna say well you're weak which is like <laughs> obvious and uh they're gonna make holy cow like seriously bishop you need to go do that um we had a sister get taken um from the ambulance yesterday for example and typically like what would a bishop do run out of the hospital right yeah run out of the hospital um like i needed to go to an ordination for one of my young men to be ordained and actually receive the Melchizedek priesthood. That's what I was going for. Relief Society president, let me know how the hospital goes. Give me a report. I'll reach out to them tonight. Yeah. And then you know what I was going to do? I'm going to go home and be with my family, make sure I strengthen my family and spend time with them. That's what I was going to do. I got to find that balance. I love that family that that with this 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 uh, older sister that was rushed to the hospital in contact with the Relief Society president, you're going to say shame on you, like shame on you. I'm going to say, you know what? I got to find the balance and I got to trust in my Relief Society president and Elders Quorum president. They are so capable. And that Elders Quorum president holds keys just like I hold keys. So the Elders Quorum president, he's capable of doing a lot of things. And that Relief Society president is even more capable than us both. She's incredible. <laughs> they're both they're both incredible. Yeah, awesome. Uh, you know, as a judge in Israel, what have you learned about repentance? That uh, as far as like philosophies that you take into as you're meeting with individuals who are really struggling with with certain sins in their life. The Lord cares about us taking action. The Lord cares about us just striving. 
And when you feel that someone is striving, someone is trying, someone is willing, someone is like putting up their arm and raising their hand and saying, I need help. That's what matters. That's when it's like, okay. Like I used to judge people so much faster, you know, and I, I probably still do a ton, but so much faster than I did before this calling. I didn't have the empathy. Maybe I should. I think my empathy's grown a little bit more. And I think the Lord is teaching you in, in a lot of callings, and in this calling specifically, how to be more empathetic and loving and accepting. And when someone's willing to raise their hand and say, can I come in and talk? And they just bear their soul. Man, you just want to wrap, you wrap your arms around them and say, you know what? You're a fighter and I'm going to fight with you. And the Lord's right here fighting with you. And he is so proud of you. That's what matters. And like, that's what I've learned as a judge in Israel is like, wow, that's all that matters. And like, that's what the Lord is doing with us constantly. And we just have to wrap our arms around people and be like, all right, it's okay. We all make mistakes. Let's get going. Let's move forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. Um, more of a practical question. You mentioned it's sort of the, the texting uh, uh, routine you have with your ward council. Any other apps or tools or uh, a awesome spreadsheet or something like that? Anything you use that dealt in your calling? <laughs> okay. A little asterisk here. Okay. I, I like, I own this company, but I, I use it. So sure. like, is that okay? Yeah, like, yeah, I'm sure. not, like, like this is, and it's, so I'm not trying to promote it or anything else, but we've got a lot of wards and stakes using it, but it's called Scipio. And uh, it's a, it's an automation, a, a texting tool, setting up birthdays, setting up reminders, you know, you know setting out individual text messages that are personalized to your, uh, to your ward, um, you know, loving on your ward in different ways, engaging them. You know, like I had a, a ward member this morning that wasn't at church yesterday. It was his birthday today, but it was set up as a reminder, sent out the birthday wish. He's like, thanks so much, Bishop, means a lot. I'm like, oh, hey. And I said his first name. I'm like, we missed you yesterday in church. And I would have forgotten how to, I would have forgotten to do that. But that was a reminder. Like, we love your family. Tell your son. And I said his son's name that we love him and we miss him like crazy. Hope he's doing awesome. I, I think it's helped a little bit nice. and uh, it's kind of nice. But, and so uh, those texts, like that went out automatically to him. Yes. And then he replied and then you yes. picked it up in real yes. time. Yes. And then I, then you're engaged at that moment because yeah. he got engaged. And nice. so you start, so it helps out a ton. Nice. Anything else? Is that? If not, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not, nothing comes to my mind, okay, but I, I really was not trying to promote that because <laughs> we, we love to give uh, any bishop or stake president uh, access to that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I have one more question for you, but if, uh, I mean, if anybody wants to learn more about you or your company or, you know, try a good uh, protein bar or whatever, I mean, where would you send them? Oh, for the bill, for the well, bill, just, just built.com on the, on the, as far as their, our, uh, what we call a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. I think that was said earlier. I can, I can attest to that. Yeah. So <laughs> we've kind of had fun with that, but nice. I don't know. I don't, I don't really, I don't go out there on social media and push myself or, okay. so where to find me, just, just come to built. Um, we have a foundation that we would love um, help cool. on. It's called five twelve, and we pack bags of food for kids on the weekend. We do about 2000 bags a week. And uh, we love volunteers. It's ran by volunteers and we get uh, church groups all the time here in the state of Utah. It fills up quickly, but uh, it's a fantastic opportunity. Every Wednesday night, we pack about 2000 bags of food and we feed kids for the weekend. But we want to grow that and, you know, within along the Wasatch Front and then outside the state of Utah and really feed tens of thousands of kids. That's, that's a driver for me. Awesome. That's a good plug. So last question I have for you is as you reflect back on your time as a leader, you know, in your, in your church life and also in your professional life, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Wow. (laughs) Holy cow. Um, it humbles you. Um, you realize quickly when you're a leader, what your weaknesses are. You fall on your your knees fast and you fall, you fall on your knees quickly and often and it, uh, it's a humbling experience to lead, especially hundreds, if not thousands of people and having to make hard decisions every single day and realize you're not in control at all. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, everything that we've built up to this point with this company that we're in right now with Built, I can't take any ounce of credit for it. It has been totally directed every single step of the way. And sometimes you feel like, 
my goodness, Nick, the Lord's telling you, Nick, here's the plan again. Here's what you got to do. Here's the blueprint. I thought you could figure this out, but every step of the way, and when you're a leader, you realize how much the Lord is in the details and details matter to the Lord. And it's humbling. And remember to get additional leadership content through the Core Leaders Library. Click the donate button at leadingsaints.org or text the word lead to 474747. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.